Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome to SDR Like the Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. It is my great pleasure to welcome my friend, Hamza Zafar, to the show. Hamza, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, Hamza, you and I have known each other for a long time, but for the folks that don't know about you and your story, why don't you give us a quick introduction of, of you and your business? My name is Hamza Zafar, 27 years old. Started my rental arbitrage business about three years ago. I went to school for electrical engineering, minor in computer science and math. Graduated in 2018, worked at nine to five as an engineer in Philadelphia for about three years. While I was working that job starting in 2020 of October, that's when I started the arbitrage business in Philly. And while I was working that job, I was essentially working on the business at the exact same time, working at night shift from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m., sleeping four hours, and then starting the business, working on the business, cleaning apartments, doing everything myself with just my wife and I from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and so on and so forth. We then eventually scaled the business to what it is now, three years later, 400 apartments, doing over a million dollars a month, all arbitrage in seven different cities. That's So that's three years. Three years, 400, that's it. 400 apartments. 400 all arbitrage month. apartments, yeah. That's it's amazing. Remember when you sent me a remember when you sent me a Facebook message? I think when we around when you first got started, and we were talking about like accounting and stuff. And to see your journey since then till now is pretty amazing. So definitely dive in on that. But before we start, we both operate in Philly, and it's Philly's the city of brotherly love, but it's not always that loving. Tell us, give us a crazy, give us a memorable guest story that you remember from your early days. My second ever unit. I was in Queens Village off Montrose Street. My second ever unit, landlord was a really nice Asian couple. They let me Airbnb, no problem. And I furnished out a whole apartment myself. My wife and I built the furniture. It has some sort of sentimental value towards us. My third ever booking, it was a Friday night for one night. Keep in mind, I had nothing. I had no security measures in place like I do now. Because back then, I was just learning the business, right? Didn't really uh, do any background checks. We basically let anybody stay in the apartment, ask a few questions, but nothing really too major. Because the main thing, I was really excited to see some money come in. Anyways, we let the people book. They book it. I That same night, I go to work. And at 3 o'clock at work, I'm working the night shift. I get a random inquiry on Airbnb. Someone's inquiring saying, hey, I'm your next door neighbor uh, for this property. There's a huge party going on. We're about to call the police. Please come fix this issue right away. As soon as I saw that, my heart dropped. I had no idea. Because the ring cameras were unplugged, the noise sensors were unplugged. As soon as they walked inside, they unplugged the Wi-Fi and started throwing a huge party. So I then tell my boss at that time, I have to go to the bathroom. I have severe diarrhea. I get in my car, drive straight <laughs> to Queens Village from the Philadelphia airport, which is where I was working. And so it was like a 15-minute drive. I get there. I start banging on the door and saying, let me in. Everyone's throwing a party. No one's opening the door. I have the code. I type it in, unlock the door, walk inside. Now, I'm... Inside, there's like 15, 16 people inside, probably seven, eight guys. And I started yelling. I'm like, all right, everybody, get out right now. Party's over. Party's done. And everybody inside is like, we're not leaving. We paid to stay here. We'll stay here as long as you want. And they wanted to fight me and stuff. I'm like, all right, no problem. Let's take it outside. So on the way there, I actually called the police and told them the exact situation. Then I'm probably going to need backup. So as I go outside, <laughs> eight of them walk downstairs and follow me outside. Obviously, I'm not going to fight eight guys from Philadelphia by myself. There's about six, seven police officers waiting outside for me. 
Then the police officers go inside and handle business, kick everybody out. And as they're leaving, they're taking all their food, throwing it on the sofas, dumping huge loads of pasta all over the floor, just creating an entire big giant mess, destroying the entire place. They finally leave. Neighbors get pissed off. And I'm sitting there in an apartment full of filth, garbage everywhere. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. My boss is blowing up my phone saying, where are you? You need to come back to your shift. And at that point, I'm like, what the hell am I doing in my life right now? So I left everything as is, locked up, went straight to work, finished up my shift around 8 a.m. We had a guest checking in at 11 a.m. So I drove straight there, picked up my wife, told her to wake up, called one of my cleaners, and then I spent the next three hours, drank a Monster Energy drink, cleaning the entire place, scrubbing it clean, making it look good as new again, just in time for the next guest who was checking in around at, say, 12, 1 o'clock. So that was an insane moment, an insane day for me. And I told myself, if I can handle this, I can handle pretty much anything. That's, that's why you've been successful. There have been a lot of entrepreneurs. I think nine out of 10 people would have been like, I'm done. It's a, this isn't worth it. But these are people I have to deal with. And I think it's the people that can see past that and the way, look at it the way that you did. If I can get through this, I can get through anything. And then having that mindset is ultimately what's going to drive you to success in business. Because it's just a series of problems. It's all it you is, know, right? Like It so really is. 100%. And engineering, right? Like People always ask, do you think going to school for engineering was worth it based on what you're doing now? I tell them, yeah, it is. I'm not working on circuits every day, but all engineering is problem solving, right? You, you study for an exam, you go to the exam, and all the questions have nothing to do with any of the homework you studied. Now you got to basically problem solve and figure out how to solve the problem and figure out the best solution. Same with business. It's the exact same thing. The reason why a lot of big CEOs from a lot of tech companies all have engineering backgrounds is because we're taught to problem solve. Not necessarily how to do math or do calculus. That's how to solve problems with a limited amount of information or limited resources at your disposable. So let's talk about that, right? First off, what were you, what were you doing at the field? What were you doing the midnight shift at Philadelphia Airport? So I was the job that I hated. I was a controls, electrical controls engineer working on PLCs. And what is that? Okay, translate that to English for us. Basically, I was making sure all the machinery, automations, and robotics of the airport behind behind the scenes work properly. Making oh, sure okay. your bags, as soon as you drop them off. The check-in, they actually show up on the plane. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. So you're the one to blame that when my bags don't show Basically, up. Basically, 100%. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then how'd you like, how'd you learn about the arbitrage business? Like social media, like someone tell you? Yeah, people talking about arbitrage on YouTube. And I basically saw uh, this one, one who, who on YouTube, who on YouTube? There's a few people on YouTube that I, uh, I saw talking about it, but they were, they gave me the idea and I realized I'm like, you know what? I live in Philly. Might as well try it myself. And I'm like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. I spent that entire, after I basically had been watched every free video I could on YouTube, yeah. I started calling landlords and emailing landlords that entire day, a shift at work, made a random website and within three, four hours, I uh, didn't have an LLC, didn't have EIN, like literally nothing. Found my first landlord in Philly. This was in October, November-ish of 2020. And I basically told him, hey, this is what I'm looking to do. You have this house sitting vacant for five, six months now. Let me rent it out. He said, you can rent it out for four months only. Because he wants to move back into it in four months. I said, that's not a problem. The house came fully furnished, minus one bedroom. Oh, okay. My okay. wife and I just furnished one bedroom. And we basically started making money. The first month, we did about 4300 in revenue. Rent was about 2200 And we cleaned the unit ourselves every okay. single day. So we made about 2000 a little bit over yeah. $2,000 in profit. That's not bad, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice, right? How much are you making? How much are you making as a control kind of quality? Being a control engineer, my home base office was in Detroit. I was getting paid about 4,000 a month after tax, about 70 grand, 68 grand. grand. Okay. Because I was living in Philadelphia on the job site for two years, they basically bumped my pay to 8,000 a month after tax. Free car. Oh, that's not bad, actually. Yeah, free car, free gas, 
making $8,000 a month after tax. So after That's tax, cool. I was taking home 8,000 with no car expense, no insurance expense, no gas expense. And yeah, that's basically it. That's not bad, actually. Okay. Yeah, okay. At 20, at 22 wasn't bad at, at all. At 22, yeah, you're, you're clearing like 100K post-tax or it's like 150. That's not bad, actually. Yeah. Was it something inside you that you were just like, I don't want to do this job anymore? Because I think a lot of people would say, I think a lot of people would be like, look, I'm making 8K a month, I have a free car, like I'm married, you know what I mean? They have kids or they're just yeah, going yeah. live, kind of travel, live the life of a 23-year-old. I think not yeah. a lot of 23-year-olds want to go and bust up Philadelphia parties at four in the morning and then drink a monster drink and get on your hands well, and knees and clean. It's not very biggest, sexy. Even with my friends, we're all wages and all have nine to fives. The biggest what, what's a wagey? What's define a wagey? A wagey is someone who basically works a regular nine to five job and basically loves a nine to five job and basically is internally doomed to be a corporate slave for the rest of their life. Why do you say it's a, cor- like, why do you say it's a corporate slave? And I'm going to push back on that a little bit, right? A slave is someone that doesn't have a choice, right? Correct. You're saying they don't have a choice. Majority of people do not have a choice. Why? You Okay, people, majority of Americans, especially in the West, fall into a consumer debt lifestyle where they're basically just basically living paycheck to paycheck every single month. Your kid's schooling, your wife's shopping. Every single dollar that you make is being spent on just consumer debt. So you have no choice but to keep working that job because when you stop that job or you quit, your life basically stops working. So the, the Western economic system would stop if, if we didn't have consumer debt. I yeah, look. wrong with it, but a lot of people don't live within their means. A lot of people live on credit card debt. They live on buying things that are not assets. They live on buying the new Chanel, the new Gucci, even though they only make 5000 a month. I think this is where you come from an immigrant background, as do I. And I think there's a little bit of that where it infused in our thinking very early on not to, it's not the not to take debt, but just like you, you don't save what you earn to invest for the future. And it's not about consuming, it's investing so that you have enough, right? And I think there's actually a little bit of that where it's good to start, but also I think bad at a certain point because you become too conservative and you just put your money in a bank account versus investing it. So how, I guess like that for me was a part of my personal journey was making that flip. Like how did that change for you? Like Because you have to continue to invest to grow to 400 units, right? If it's $10,000 per unit, right? Like you put over $4 million of furniture into... Back then, it wasn't 10K a unit. Back then, it was like... Furniture was a lot cheaper. Maybe like three and a half to 5K a unit. But yeah, if you do the math and average it out... It's, you've spent millions of dollars on furniture. Military, yeah. where, whereas you could have spent million dollars on a house, on Chanel bags, cars, watches, whatever, right? Like, why do that? Like, how did you change that mindset for yourself that like, I'm going to continue to reinvest in this business and make it bigger and bigger versus just putting some of that money on the side and enjoying it, consuming it. So you have to understand the position I was in. Majority of people don't quit their job or they don't leave their job because they hate the job. I didn't hate my job. I hated my boss. Majority of people who are leaving jobs and job hopping do for two reasons. One being financial and one being the person that you actually work for. Because that person you see every single day, you report to them every single day and they're assholes and they're making your life a lot harder. That's the main reason why people want to leave their job. I had an insane boss. This person would ask me every single day, Hamza, what are you working on today? Hamza, what did you work on for the last two hours? Hamza, what are you working on tomorrow morning? I'd be going to the bathroom, calling the landlord, but he'd follow me into the bathroom and see why is Hamza taking so long in the bathroom. It got super crazy. I'm like, all right, this is insane. I can't be a wagey forever. This guy has to go or I have to go. One of the two has to happen because my last boss at my job was amazing. Love the guy. And that's the person that I want to be, that I want to be more like and 
emulate and replicate as a boss. If that person was still my boss, I don't think I probably would have quit my job. Or if anything, I don't think I'd be at 400 units right now. The reason why I told myself, I'm like, all right, this business has to take off. It has to be insanely profitable and have to give get out of this rat race. I cannot be working for this guy anymore. I got to bounce. What was that number? Did you have a number in mind? Did you have like yeah, a price so AK? I was making, I think, December 2021 is when I quit my job. Or I think it was December 22. I honestly can't remember. It's been a little while. I think it's December 21 I quit my 21, job. 21, I think. Yeah. yeah, 21 I quit my job. I was at, in December. I made about $100,000 in revenue that month. I think I took home like 30, 40K. The reason why I couldn't quit my job is because I'm not an American citizen. I'm a Canadian. So I had to, for me to live in the United States, I had to keep working my regular nine to five job if I want to continue living in the United States until my new investor visa came through. Finally, when that happened, I basically told my boss, record it, peace out. I'm bouncing. I'm good to go. And uh, off to the races. Let's get this business to a million dollars a month. I, would, I had to say that was one of my favorite videos, actually, one of yours. Time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that to the show notes because that's actually one of my favorite Hamza videos. Because you can see the emotion in Hamza's face, actually. I, you, after you said it, you paused for a second when you said it. And it, because it, it, it looked like you were a little nervous, actually, when you said it. Yeah. And then when you, hold on, hold on. And then yeah. when you, and then after you said it, and I could see that, and I know that smirk you have, and you know, that, that smile, like the, yeah, I did it. And it's, it's that contrast, that two seconds where you're nervous to say it. And then when your boss is like, uh, uh, oh, okay, can you tell me why? And then you smiled. And I think you probably wanted to say it because of, I didn't like you or whatever it was. And you're like, well, that was, I think you really showed through there. Yeah, like they don't really expect a lot of people to quit. When I was working my job, there were people that have been there for 20 years, 30 years straight at the exact same company, making 110, 130K a year and just doing the same mundane thing every single day, living for the weekend, Friday night, beers. I'm like, dude, this is insane. I can't imagine 30 years of doing this. this is insane. I, I don't know what I'll do. And then I had like, a mental breakdown one day, like driving from work. I'm like, this can't be my life forever. Was it something that happened in your youth? Was it, did your family immigrate from overseas to, Pakistan, to yeah. pa from Pakistan to Canada? Uh, what did your parents do? So my dad's an engineer. I went to school for engineering in Pakistan. Then he went to America, came to America by himself. Then there's master's in uh, mechanical engineering at Wayne State University in Michigan. Oh, and then okay. now he works at, at Stellantis at Chrysler FCA as an engineer. Oh, okay. My brother's an engineer. He went to school for electrical engineering. Now he yeah. works at Ford. But he himself now, just last month, made 75K on Airbnb. So he's basically applied for the same visa I have. He's going to be quitting his job very soon. And I did the same thing as well. Your parents don't let him quit. He's not married yet though. Yeah, I know. So the, the rule is basically in my house, you can't quit your nine to five unless you're married. Like in our <laughs> community, when it comes to getting married, anytime you tell someone or the girl's father asks, what did your son do? You say, oh, he has a business. They don't think it's a real business. They think he's basically doing nothing. So that's the like worry parents have. But I told my dad, I'm like, at this point, everyone knows knows us in the community. No one's going to think that whatsoever. When you see us driving Lamborghinis around and having those cars parked on our driveway. It's funny you say that actually, how communities, and I know we're going on a little tangent here, but in my community, if you turn around a Lamborghini, they would probably, in the Asian American community, like if you turn around a Lamborghini, people give you a little eye. Does that, you have a nice car, by the way, very nice car. How's that feel? Like, how's that feel to go from, I don't want to be a community part, but go from not a company owned car, probably not something fancy to like driving a Lamborghini. Like, how's that make you feel? Well, the last time I drove the Lambo was probably the one time you came to Dallas. So I probably drove it two times. In the last, since April, basically, in the last six months, since my daughter was born, right? Like, there's no point of driving it now. And I don't really take it out by myself. I usually take it out for date nights and things like that. But we don't really do that anymore because now we have a baby at home. So we're always taking the, <laughs> the we're always taking the Toyota SUV with the car seat and going everywhere. All right. All right. All right. Outside. 
All right, let's swing back to the business. Give us a little bit on your growth trajectory, right? Like you got your first unit October or in October, November, Q4 of 2020. Like where were you a year later? How many units did you have? I actually have that exact number for you right here. If you don't mind me pulling it up real quick. While you, you while, while, look, while you, you pulling it up, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. While you pulling that up though, right? I want you to think about that number and that journey, right? Was it a lot harder to go from one to the number that you'll tell us versus 24 months later? Let's talk about that a little bit. Was it, where were some of the real pain points? Was it hard to go from like one to two? So I actually have the number I can tell you right now. By January of 2021, I was at seven units doing $35,000 a month. Then in March of 2021, I was at 19 units doing $50,000 a month. And that's when I moved back from Philadelphia back to Canada because my job in Philly ended and I had to basically work in the office in Detroit. Uh, then after that, let's go to September of 2021. I was at 32 units, 32 units. That month I did it. All in Philly or do you, Detroit, Detroit, Dallas, Philly, oh, okay. et cetera. Then I was at 32 units and I did $100,000 that month in revenue, took home about 30 grand in profit. And I started like basically six months ago. Then after that, in January, I blitzscaled like crazy. And I was at seven units and did $150,000 a month. So from September to January, I added like 30 something units because I negotiated a lot of rents free. Over the 30 units I negotiated in multiple cities, I got two months free on every single apartment. So that really helped with cash flow and helped with growth. Then after that, in May of 2022, I did. A, I got. A, I went up to 128 units. Sorry, hold on. Let's let's pause for a second. Like you're making 100k a year, right? You did live too. Like, how do you finance this? Like, how do you? Because you, you get rent. You can get rent free, right? So you have to pay your rent. Like, yep. you still got to pay the security deposit, or sometimes you do. And no, then so you're going to buy the furniture. Super. So the biggest thing is what are the costs that I can basically the cash costs, right? Cash costs. Because cash costs are the ones that I have to pay upfront right away. Security deposits, I basically negotiated all the way down to $200 per unit. I wasn't paying a full month, not even a half a month, not even $500. $200 a unit, and that's like the max I'm going to pay. Some buildings, I even negotiated no security deposits. No last month's rent, just that first month. But even then, if it was two months free, I'm not paying anything for basically the next two months. Mm -hmm. Furniture was the only other expense, the big expense that I had to basically pay. Furniture was pretty much funded all on business credit cards. So I opened up a lot of business credit cards, 0% APR, never paid a dollar in interest, not allowed to. And then basically use that to basically fund the growth. And as a profit would come in, I'd take that money to pay off that business credit card and rinse and repeat. Okay. Was it hard getting this many business credit cards? Because it's, it's a lot of business credit. Yeah. So yeah, basically that through combinations of Amex and then combinations through Chase, BOA, okay. Capital One, just basically, yeah. Okay. Okay. Does it ever worry you? You're a religious guy and you have, I think interest is not permitted in, in your belief system. So like, it's, so it's even tighter, right? Because you have to make those payments before yeah. the interest kicks in. Yeah. Like, I just had a $280,000 Amex platinum payment five days ago. Just paid it off cash. No problem. Yeah. 28 days. Does that work? Does that worry you? That stress worry you? Cause at the end of the month, it's like you got some really monster payments with, with rent, credit card payments staff cleaners yeah my monthly overhead so right now we're in november of 2023 by that by december 1st because right now we're furnishing 20 units i'll be at 400 units 405 units my overhead rent utilities expenses payroll housekeeping everything should be around eight hundred thousand dollars a month and that's break even <laughs> and then how do you like how do you manage that stress that's a lot of that's a lot of cat like dollars and cash out the door every single month. And look, this business that we're in the same business, it's short-term rentals, right? So your revenue visibility is 18, 30 days out, 30 days out. You have a pretty good sense 30 days out. You have, you're facing these big nuts every month, right? 800K of 
of money. So just yeah. talk to us a little bit about, and I know there are systems behind it, but talk to us about your mindset, like how I've graduated from having that one unit to now having this very nice, profitable business. But it, it takes a certain mindset to get to that level. Because most people, like, I, I would say most people like have 100 units. Okay, I feel pretty good about this. I'm making say 100K a month. Like that's good money. It's a million dollars a year. And I'm just going to go and chill or do something. But you continue to grow that. And now you have a fairly large liability every single month. Like talk to us just about the thinking about how you manage that. So in terms of the stress or the actual, the cash flow, both. All right. So in terms of cash flow, I'll do the first one, right? I basically can see how much money is coming in just based off the current bookings for next month, but also looking at previous performances last year of 2022, November, I lost $50,000 with 180 units. So I'm like, all right, if now that I have 380 or 390, whatever it is, double the amount of units, that means technically I should lose a hundred thousand dollars for November which is the complete opposite this month. This month already, I'm at $650,000 in revenue. And we're on November 3rd. We have the entire rest of the month left to go. And I'm only 30% occupied. So this month, I'll probably do $1.2, $1.3 million in revenue. So like I know this year is a lot better than last year because of one, I pretty much got rid of all the bad properties in my business, got rid of them, let them go. Then after that, I basically worked on reducing my overhead, increasing margins, specifically with housekeeping. I saw what percentage of revenue housekeeping was, and it was way too high. I had to decrease it as much as possible. And that's what I've been working on for the last three months is decreasing housekeeping to as low as it possibly can. Where I'm paying $25 in some cities now to clean a one-bedroom apartment, $35 to clean a full two-bedroom apartment, like fully clean, turnover, and everything. Before, I was paying 85 to 95 sometimes 75 sometimes even 125 just to clean these apartments because I was cleaning contractors. For the last four months, I went really hard during summer to fire them all and bring everything in-house and hire people at $14 an hour or 25 unit, whatever you want to call it. Okay. And then, so focusing on margins and then what about the, what, what about mindset wise? Like how do you, so you, I think it helps the visibility of seeing your cash flow and your expenses, but talk to us about just the mindset. Okay. Like how are you okay with this much money coming out the door? Cause it's a lot of, it's a lot of stress and maybe bookings are a little slower or something happens in a city or a building. Yeah. So slow season is pretty much upon us after November, it's December, January, February. Over the last last November, last year, 2022, I lost a total of $250,000, all right, over those four-month period for 180, 200 apartments. Now that I'm double, technically I should lose 500000 So I know for sure that last year is not going to be a repeat of this year. I just don't know how much of a delta it's going to be because I can't use last year's numbers to compare to this year's numbers. Even though ref pars are lower than this year, my numbers have been way higher because of the unit yeah, size. Better units. Yeah, yeah. Way better units, better yeah, locations. Better units. Yeah. All right, margins are better. So that's the main reason why. So honestly, it's a shot in the dark. Then in February, I have side units starting. I have to spend $500,000 of cash to basically furnish those units. Right. And then on top of that, I have other landlords hitting me up for 20, 30 units. So I'm trying to push everything off to February 15th and February, because right then and there, if I have those two months free, six weeks free, the money from March, April, May, June, July, it's just going to be come flying from the sky from how much money I'm going to be making. So you got to survive the next few months. Just three um, months. I tell myself, if I can make it past the next 90 days, I'll be very, you know, I'll be very rich basically <laughs> uh, after my, February. Why are like, why continue to arbitrate? I think a lot of people will start buying properties or people do that co-hosting, midterm rentals, there are other strategies, right? But you've stuck very closely with 
rental arbitrage, short-term rentals. Why have you, or why have you quote unquote diversified your risk? We then basically go back to the same point where I can't get a mortgage for anything. All right. So I have to buy things in cash. So if I can scale the arbitrage business, let's say to 500 units, 500 units doing 3000 a month is $1.5 million a month in revenue. Take home 500,000, say 30% of that, or right? maybe 400, 500 K. Then if I'm taking home net profit for 500 K, it's like buying one single family house every single month and all cash. And then Airbnb that making six, seven K a month. Then at that point, once I'm at the 500 units and I'm basically seeing how the market is, house prices are coming down, interest rates are really high. I have a lot of cash, a high cash flowing business that has the power to start buying basically a lot of things and just full cash. Is that the plan? Is it a roadmap for that you? That generally is the plan. Yeah. Go buy more. Okay. Do you ever feel like you, you get more, I think there's going to be more and more arbitrage deals next year as a lot more multifamily gets built. They're on these floating rates. They're going to be yep. a lot of. They're going to be a lot of. They're under a lot of pressure. Yep. What makes you stop at five hundred? Why not go to six hundred, eight hundred? Yeah, if the right comes my way, I'll take it. I, what I'm generally generally focused on. So, like right now, it's November. We're furnishing twenty units right now between three different cities. These are commitments I already made two months ago. So we're just going to build them out, and it is what it is. But after that, I'm not furnishing anything for December. Nothing for January, and after, even after twenty twenty three. I'm focusing more on margin, not just increasing random unit count. That's not really the you know, whole point. The whole point is to basically keep whatever's left over, not just increase your top line revenue. It doesn't make any sense, right? So if I, let's say, let's just say hypothetically, I want to make an extra million dollars in net profit for the year of 2024. For me to make a million dollars in net profit, I have two ways. Either get more units or increase my current units and increase your margin. So for me to make a million dollars in that profit, assuming each unit makes a thousand dollars in profit a month, I have to, let's say, get 80 more units. How much would it cost to furnish 80 units? Let's just do the math. 80 units, let's just say 10 times 10,000. That's going to cost me $800,000 that I have to spend to make an extra million dollars in profit. Second option is I can take my 500 units and then increase margin by $200. $200 times 500 units. What is that? That's about $100,000. Yeah, it's $100,000 for the month. So I just have to basically increase my margins by $150 to $200 for every single unit across the portfolio times 12 months. That's over a million dollars in profit. I made that way without spending 800K of cash, without going through the hassle of negotiating 80 more units, building them all out. I can increase my current margins by an extra $200. And there's definitely room for that and just make an extra million dollars that way. Right. I'm focusing now. Your... Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So I'm focusing now on making sure that my current units bring them up to the highest profitability that I possibly can. And the biggest one, obviously, is housekeeping. Then on top of that, all the deals that I have that are coming up that are big deals, working with developers, not these random property management companies who have five, 10 units. That doesn't interest me anymore. I want whole entire buildings, like the building that I took over in Pittsburgh. I converted that 45-unit building to an Airbnb hotel, and that building makes great money. Right. So those are the deals that I want to do. Entire buildings, 30, 40, 50 units, not these five, 10 unit deals. It's a lot more nuances, a lot more bottlenecks, and just it's not really worth my time anymore. You've graduated now to, to buildings now. You got to, I think there's opportunity. I think there's opportunity there to you gotta get some equity in some of these buildings too. If you're going to be signing these leases, I think there's definitely opportunity for them to give you some equity since you're going to be such a big part of, and it's pretty, this is a pretty, normal thing to do. You, you have to ask and negotiate for it, obviously, but that's definitely an option, a way to get equity into a property without actually put cash down or yeah, take yeah. a mortgage. What I find like extremely impressive about what you've done is just your ability to scale this, right? Doing 20 units at a time is not easy. 
like it's a difficult thing to do, right? Like how have you scaled the operations to be able to you're in seven cities now. If you have, so you have 20 units right now, just ball, ballpark, like how many cities, how many units per city are you, are you growing, are, um, are you building out right now? Yeah. So right now my goal is to basically expand vertically, not horizontally. I don't want to enter 20 cities and have only 30 units each. I basically realized if I scale vertically and get 100 to 200 apartments in a city, my margins increase like crazy because of uh, economic efficiency, right? So now the current cities that I'm in, we're just scaling vertically in those seven cities. Uh, on average right now, three of the four cities I have, I think uh, maybe I think two or three cities I have maybe 80 units in. The other one's about 40 to 50. So how are you actually building them out? Though? Like I said, so you have the 20 units in there in two cities, right? Tell us a little bit, like, how are you building out? Do you just, are you hiring full people full-time there? Do you have dedicated people that are building out staff for, yeah. for you? Like, like for example, how are you actually doing yeah, that? In, in Dallas, for example, we just furnished, I think, 70 units in the last four months. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and the big building downtown, the other operator basically left got kicked out, whatever it was, I took over all 70 units and we had to paint every single wall, add more furniture, add more beds, basically bring them up to a higher standard if you want to actually make some money. And they gave it to us in batches of, I think, 10 or 15 every couple of weeks. So it takes a couple of weeks, about two weeks to get 15 of those big giant units built, everything distributed, everything built, walls painted, Wi-Fi set up, smart locks installed. So I have a supervisor, for example, in Dallas who runs the entire show. I have no idea about anything. The furniture order is made. The furniture arrives, him and his team, it's him and 12 people. He just picks off the side of the road from Home Depot and they just go 14, 15 bucks an hour and just work hard from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single day. Really? He calls the photographers, he schedules all that. The photos get sent, my team lists them all up, connects to Price Lab. They handle everything. Like I have no idea about anything until so it's how do you manage it though? Like, do you, do you approve the orders? Like, do you approve the designs? Yeah, so we have a standard design for everything. If you look at all my units, almost everything looks the exact same. The same yeah. coffee tables, the same sofas, the same nightstands. Basically, it's all the exact same. So everything's saved. We just literally hit order, and that's pretty much it. All the quantities, we know exactly how much we're ordering. Once do you everything arrives, the orders? yeah, I always make sure. Like for some, you know, like higher end units that we did. For example, like I have a unit in Philly. The rent's three thousand. Since for the last six months, it's doing seventy thousand a month. But I spent almost $20,000 on furniture because it's a really unique property. I wanted to go extra and it was worth it. So for that one, I specifically went in, made sure the design was good. Everything looked mm. nice. And then went ahead and uh, approved the order. But for everything else, it's very standard, very one standard flow. So just find one really good. So the secret is finding one really good person in your market that Agreed. just is your right hand person. Agreed. And then let them run and just let them run with it. Do you try to take the lessons from the boss that you'd really like, something like there was a boss that you really liked that you respected, something like you'd have worked with that person for a long time versus other person that you disliked and you're like, I gotta get, he was a person that, I guess you should be thankful to him because he made your life so miserable that you're like, I, there's no way I'm gonna do this, which yeah. motivated you. Has any of that kind of trickled into your your management style and how you manage yeah, your- even with my COO, even with my city supervisors, I'm not someone who's overbearing, who's constantly asking, what are you working on? What are you doing? I just let people do what needs to get done. And if the job gets done and the results were good, that's basically all I need from you. I don't need to constantly be checking what time you're opening your laptop, what time you're stopping your shift, how long your bathroom break is, how long lunch break is. I don't care. I care about <laughs> results. I'm a results driven, right? So long as the job is getting done and things are, uh, that are need to be finished are getting finished on time, on schedule, everything's being done properly. That's all I care about. Okay. So how does the far operating system? I like it. Any last words as you think about your journey and kind of always ask this question to all my guests, what's one of the kindest things that someone's done for you along this journey that has helped you along that you look back and say, man, I can really appreciate that. The person didn't have to do that for me, but they did. The kindest thing that somebody's done for me. 
the kindest thing. Honestly, I don't know. Everyone's pretty ruthless in this industry. <laughs> Every landlord I work with hasn't really done me any big favors, but um, I'm trying to think. Honestly, I'd probably say like you, when you helped me with uh, my whole uh, accounting situation, I hired this accountant from uh, New York or Jersey, wherever he was, did my taxes. It was complete debauchery. Everything looked wrong. <laughs> Everything was like insane. Like the numbers you were seeing didn't make sense. I'm like, I hired literally an idiot. I needed an expert, basically, someone who was very diverse in our industry. And I had no one to ask, of course, Michael Chang, who's New York based, Wall Street based. He has definitely connections. You hooked me up with their CPA firm, and they've been great ever since. Yeah, no, they're good. I'm glad it's helpful to you. And I've learned a lot from you as well. And I appreciate you stopping by today for this conversation. It's possible. And, 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 and I really wanted to focus on the mindset part because I think that for you is what made you, makes you special, right? Like there are, a lot of smart, there are a lot of smart people out there, but I think it's like someone that has the right mindset that is driven, that can see through going to a random Philadelphia apartment at four in the morning and possibly in a fight with six people that are probably drunk, having the cops there, I'm calling your wife to go and, hey, we got to go and clean this because we got to check in the next day. Some people would have been like, whatever, let's just cancel the next check-in. I don't want to deal with this. Or I would have found some whatever reason and you just persevered through that. And not only that, also had the right mindset of saying, if I can get through this, I can get through anything versus I think 90% of people would have been, 95% of people would have been like, this isn't worth it. Okay, we're making a little bit of money here, but I could have gotten hurt tonight. I could have, this, this could have happened, that could have happened. And I think that is what makes entrepreneurship hard, but what makes it so rewarding, right? Because you problem solve that, and then that's carried you on to 400 units and 4,000 units. You know, whatever you're going to do over the next 10 years. And I'm really excited to, to be friends with you and see you in that journey. The thing but, that I will say about what you ahead. said to finish off is that yeah. the mind and body need stress in order to grow. If you have a comfortable lifestyle, there's no growth happening whatsoever. There's no plan B. If you have a plan B and your back's not against the wall, you're not under stress because you're always relying on plan B. When you have no plan B, you have no other options left, you have nowhere to go, that is when your cortisol, your body, your <laughs> adrenaline starts pumping and you realize, all right, this is it. We got to make shit happen. And that's what I thrive under. If I'm not stressed or if there's, no, if there's not even a little bit of amount of stress in my life, if I'm on vacation for too long, I need to find something to solve and I need my back against the wall. That's when I operate the best I can be. And you have. It's impressive, my friend. Um, I'm excited to see what you have in store. And thank you for, for sharing your story with uh, the community. And I appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Let's get Thanks. to the episode.